0: And uh, Whenever Kelly and I think back to the eight, well actually it was eight and a half years that we attended here. We started visiting in January of 2007 and then moved down in October. But we drove back and forth from Asheville just to be a part of this body. And I remember back then, the reason that we had come here was because uh, there was two things that we wanted to do. We wanted to, to have our... Family, our children, Joshua, how old were you? He was 12 years old back then, just this little guy running around. And, um, but we wanted our family to grow up in a church that was what we were learning was called gospel centered, a church that makes much of the cross of Jesus Christ and stays at the foot of the cross. And this church, uh, was that church that God led us to. And we also had a desire at that time to plant a church in Asheville. And we thought, well, let's go down to, to Greenville, see what God does, get some training, and maybe he'll send us back here. Well, back almost a year ago, uh, I was talking with Jazz. Now, back when we were in Asheville, Jazz it was like in college and one of the things I had met him at another church that we were attending and the thing that struck me most about Jazz was that he was a well you can see this is what he looked like back then right? kinda skinny you know kinda like weak and and I was like I can take this guy but the thing that I really loved about him was that he was a young man who had a love for the Word of God and desired to grow in it and to share it with those he's around and so we built a, a relationship back then his wife She wasn't his wife back then. Maggie, uh, she lived with me and Kelly in Asheville for a year while she attended Mars Hill College. And when she lived with us, it was like one of those relationships where it wasn't like she was um, intruding. She was just like family with us. And so God knit our hearts together. At the time, I was thinking about, I was this close to planting a church, but I was like, man, I'm not ready. I know I'm not and uh, he was one of the guys that I would have loved to plant with but he wasn't ready either so fast forward nine years later God has grown us in many different ways through different situations through monkey D's planning a business and something that's very difficult and leading care groups here then coming on staff here with uh, Matt and Aaron and being trained and just being immersed in the culture of a gospel-centered church and so me and Kelly when we talk about our time here we realize that this is the church that we raised our children in. This is the church that has actually prepared us for what we're doing now. And we're so grateful to be here. When I talked to Matt, um, he said, would you come down and speak? I said, sure, what's the special occasion? He said, I won't be there. <laughs> I said, okay. Um, he said, why don't you share a little bit about what's going on with the church? And as you guys know, we left... Uh, in October to move to Asheville. And Jazz and I spent uh, about four or five months just getting to know each other on a pastoral level. And one of the questions that I get asked a lot is, how is this working with two lead pastors? You know, uh, isn't that a two-headed monster? And that was something that we actually looked at before we jumped into this together. How can two guys lead as senior pastors? And uh, especially two alpha-type males who... Uh, really like to lead because Jazz really likes to lead. I've learned that through this whole thing. And he's learned that I like to lead too. But again, going back to that gospel-centeredness, it is because of the cross that we're able to do that because we have to all come to a point. uh, Both of us have had to come to points of humility and to be able to see the other person's perspective. And God has truly, as we get through each situation, each obstacle, and we have clearly gotten through them, Jazz and I realized, man, I'm so glad we're not planning this church by ourselves. I'm so glad I'm not by myself on this. I'm glad I have you helping pull this weight. He feels the same way. So God's blessing it that way. Back in April, we started with uh, meeting with a group of of individuals. Some of these here are part of that group. It's called our pre-launch community. We started with about 20 people. The next week, there were 40 people. Uh, the week after that, there were 120. And then after that, there were 300. So we're going to go ahead and start. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Right now, we're about it. I'm sorry. I, I made you clap. I, I was like, don't clap, please. I really feel bad now. Okay. The rest of this will be truth, okay? I will not I will not do that. But... Uh, uh, during this time, there's, there's six uh, things that we're calling our descriptors, our six descriptors, the big six. Number one, we want to be gospel-centered. We want to be, cr- just like this church is, centered around the work of Christ. We want to be a diverse church. We believe that God is calling all ethnicities to himself, all socioeconomic, uh, however you say that, people to himself in all ages to himself. We want to be diverse. We want to be culturally engaged. We don't want to retreat from the culture, but we want to engage with the culture we want to be generationally minded being faithful to handle the uh, to hand the gospel to the next generation as we've been handed the gospel by the generations before us we want to be community contributing just like Aaron was talking about you guys going into the community and cont- contributing in this community we want to be a church like that and lastly we want to be biblically rooted we want to be joyfully submitted to the Word of God, the inspired Word of God. So uh, these guys behind me are going to uh, actually kind of give you a taste of that word diversity this morning. They're going to lead a song. Um, What's the name of the song? No Other Name. So I'm going to get out of the way, let Jazz lead this group here, and then I'm going to come back and preach the Word of God. Meyer in the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is found in this passage in the very person of Mary and I'm going to get to why that is a little bit later in this passage but I love this passage every time I read through the book of Luke and I come to this passage I like to slow down in this passage and just kind of hang out with Mary I've learned so much from her but typically as I've grown up and I've heard this this message this passage, and the stories that I've been taught. The application is basically this. James, be sure that as you're going along your Christian walk, that you don't be like a... All right, you guys, we're family, right? So we're in the living room, so you guys talk to me, okay? So don't be like a Martha. No, don't be like a... Right, be like a... Right, Martha was what? Busy, 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 busy. And what did Martha, what was Martha? She was having that quiet time. So it was almost reduced down to make sure you have a quiet time. I mean, that's, that's what I got from it. Now, whether or not that's what I was being taught, that's what I used to get from this passage. And, and as I've been studying it lately, I'm just like, Lord, there just seems to be more in this than, you know, have a quiet time. She's not even by herself in this passage. She's, you know, with other people in the room. That's not a real quiet time. And, and there is a principle that we do need to have a quiet time. We do need to cultivate that. But I think that there's more here in this passage than that. And I think we'll see that in just a little bit. But in verse 38 says that, now as they went on their way, as Jesus and his disciples went on their way, they entered a village. In chapter 10, at the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus has sent out seven, 72 of his disciples. He sent them out as harvesters into his field. And no doubt, Jesus and his disciples are doing the same thing as they travel through. And they're going through a, a town that we know is Bethany. How do we know that? Because later on it says, and a woman named Martha welcomed her into, welcomed him into her house. This is the same Mary that is found in John chapter 11, whose brother's name was Lazarus, and her, her sister's name was. Did I say Mary? Okay, I'm going to start with this right now. And I told Kelly that this is a problem with this passage. I'll be talking, and I'm thinking I'm talking about Martha, but I'll say Mary. And then I'll say Mary, and I'll be, I mean Martha. It's kind of like with my kids. How many of you guys have more than one kid? You know what I'm talking about. It's like, uh, Joshua, uh, Mike, uh, Esther, Adoniram, uh, uh Abby. You go through all of them, and, and, but you—it's like, that's what's going to happen to me. So if I say Mary, and I mean Martha— Please have grace with me because it's just, it's one of those things I, This, even as I read it, it's like I do that. Okay, so now that that's out of the way, back to the passage. This is the same Martha that's in John chapter 11. And we know that Jesus has a special affection, a special deep affection with Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Why? Because in uh, John chapter 11, verse 5, it says, now, Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. He has that deep affection. You know, it's those relationships that we have. I like to think of them as there's vacuum cleaner relationships and there are battery relationships. You know what I'm talking about? Vacuum cleaner and battery The vacuum cleaner relationships are those relationships that you get into and they just seem to suck everything out of you. You know, it's like everything that that you, when you get with that person, you're giving everything you are, you're helping them, you're ministering to them, and that's okay, Jesus has called us to help people. And there are some relationships that just are are more, you know, take more work and more energy. And if you're sitting there going, I can't think of any relationships like that, then you might be the vacuum cleaner, okay? (laughs) I'm just saying, you, you might be. N- it's not that they're bad. It's just, sorry, it's just that that's how life is. But then there's those battery, B-A-T-T-E-R-Y, battery relationship that you get to and you're just energized by that, those people. You know what I'm saying? It's like you don't get together a whole lot, but when you do, it's like awesome. And you say, hey, let's get together for dinner. Yeah, and so you set a time, you meet there all day, you're excited about it, you get together. The minute that you see each other, you're talking, you're waiting in line, but the line doesn't seem that long because you're enjoying the conversation. You sit down, one hour, two hours, three hours passes. Before you know it, six hours has passed. You go, oh my goodness, we've got to go home. You get up, you pay your bill, you go out to the parking lot, you go to your car. You're like, all right, it's good seeing you guys. We've got to do this again. Yeah, we've got to do this again. Oh, one more thing, and before you know it, an hour has passed again. That type of relationship that you're just enjoying. And, and that's a lot of the relationships that we have in this room like that with the family of God. And I believe that this is the type of relationship that Jesus has with Martha and Mary. And it says that Martha welcomed him into her house. She receives him. That word welcome, that word receive, carries with it the idea of a person entertaining with the intention of giving hospitality to their guests, with the intention of entertaining guests with like food, with shelter, with drink, and with fellowship. And so there is definitely a cost involved with Martha as she sees Jesus coming uh, into the town. Obviously, there's the financial cost of the food and the drink. There's also um, the, the threat that maybe her roof is going to get ripped off. You know, she's, she's probably heard the story about the guy. Have you ever thought about that? The guy that had uh, a group in his house and his roof gets ripped off because people want to get to Jesus so bad they rip his roof off? You know, what if you were at home? How many of you guys host a home a care group. How many of you guys host one? What would you do if someone came and ripped your roof off during care group? You would not want to host it again, right? There, there's a great, I mean, we have kids running around oftentimes ripping other things apart. But that's a, that's, a, that's a high cost there. And Jesus also is not the safest individual to be around right now, right? He has been preaching publicly against the Pharisees. He's been calling them out. He's saying, you guys are hypocrites. You guys are not the real deal. And the people are hanging on his words. So the Pharisees are going back to try to somehow destroy him, get rid of him. And anyone that's associated with him is going to have a target on their back. So, you know, Mary had to count the cost. I want to make sure that we understand that this is a very noble thing that Mary is doing. Yes, they are very close friends, but there is a high cost for her to have them come into her home. And I believe that at the beginning of this account, Mary is in great place. She's doing what she's been called to do. She's opening her home. And we find out in um, John chapter 12, after Lazarus has been raised from the dead, it says that they had a big feast and Martha was serving. This is her gift. And she's using her gift to serve the Lord. And the Lord said, yes, I want to take you up on that. And so this is a very noble thing. So I picture, like, I have in my mind, like, a picture of a movie, you know, and it's like springtime, and and the sun's bright, and you see Jesus coming off, coming in the distance with his group of 12 men, and kids are running around, and Martha, and Mary, and Lazarus are all excited about him coming, and who knows how many people are going to enter into the home, but there's music playing, that kind of, like, uh, Lord of the Rings type of happy music going through, and they enter into the home. Verse 39 says, And she had a sister, Martha had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Earlier I said that Mary is, is my all-time favorite person in the Bible. And there's three accounts of Mary that I know of that are specifically talk about her. And if you go and look at them, here's something I I realized. Every single one of those passages, you find Mary finding her way to the feet of Jesus. Every one of them. There's this account, then there's the one in John chapter 11 when Lazarus has died. Jesus comes into town and calls for Mary. It says that when she heard him call, she hurried to be where he was at, and she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The, next, the very next chapter, where, is, where, where do we find Mary? At his feet. What does she do? She takes, after her brother's been raised from the dead, she takes a, a, a jar of pure nard, breaks it, anoints his feet, and begins to wipe his feet with her hair this is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be submitted to the lordship of jesus christ if i walked in here this morning and said would you like kiss my feet what would you say to me you you would not it would be demeaning to you right but what if i told you i'll give you a million dollars I can hear y'all puckering up there. If I said I'll give you a million dollars, you might be okay. Uh, You have enough power over me now to get me to do that. But that is a, something about your feet shows a level of whoever's above those feet, there's lordship in that. And Mary recognizes that in Jesus. So Jesus comes into the home and at some point he must have said, all right, we're going to gather up. And I'm going to teach. And Mary, I'm sure, was helping with everything that was going on. And at the minute she hears her Savior's voice, she puts everything down and finds a place at his feet. She positions herself as a true disciple. A true disciple is somebody who comes under the teaching of another. A true disciple is someone who comes under the teaching of another with the intention... Of obeying that teaching, that's what a true disciple is. And that word, when it says and Jesus, and uh, Mary listened at his feet, that word "listened" means that she listened with the in, with an intentness, with an intention. I want to take in what he is saying. It wasn't casual. And I want you to think about Mary right now. What do you think? How do you think Mary's feeling right now? What do you think she's experiencing right now? She is sitting at the feet of Jesus. As you read that verse, and she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. I can hear in my heart, I can hear Mary is at rest. Mary is at at peace, and she is content. And her heart is being captured by her Savior. She's at rest. She's in worship. And I believe that Mary in this account is a, an example of what a spirit-filled life is to look like. She is the picture of what it looks like to be led by the spirit of someone who is resting in the Savior. Her mind is set on spiritual things, and therefore she is filled with life and peace. So I, I thought that the song that Joe led us in earlier was awesome somebody took it away okay so I thought it was awesome uh, where it talks about Jesus you're all I need when I'm when I'm in awareness of you that's all I need and that's where Mary is in this account verse 40 but Martha can't you just hear the music changing But Martha was distracted with much serving. You have Mary, peaceful Mary, sitting at the feet of Jesus, and you have Martha distracted. Jesus is speaking. Jesus is teaching. And no doubt, Martha cannot hear a word he is saying. Her mind is set on what is in front of her. And she can no longer hear what Jesus is saying. I can just imagine her getting more and more frustrated as she's working, as she's trying to clean up, as she's trying to fill cups. And she's like, I can't do this. I got to make everybody happy. I need help. Wait, Mary, where is Mary at? And she looks over. And there's Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Picture that. Look, do you guys have brothers and sisters that you grew up in? It's like, what are you doing? I'm working, you know? She's getting frustrated inside. And she looks over and sees Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. And inside, I think she's thinking, look, look what I'm doing. Look at all the things I'm doing. And she, Mary, is over there just sitting at the feet of Jesus. I wonder what kind of looks she was giving mary have you ever like uh, had a relative or a close friend and you're in a room with other people and you try to like get their attention that that look you give them or spouses sitting at a table out to eat you're talking and you say something all of a sudden you get a (laughs) kick under the table sometimes i like to pick on kelly and she'll do that to me and i'll go ow what why'd you just kick me honey so that's and that doesn't help the the situation, but uh, anyway, I think Mary is is frustrated. She she can't get. Martha is frustrated. She can't get Mary's attention. But I do think deep down inside, listen. I do believe she wants to to please her Savior. I don't want to paint a picture of someone that's, you know not wanting to please her Savior. She is wanting to please her Savior. She started out right, but there was a point where she needed to stop and rest with her Savior. She wanted to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, but she's going about it in the wrong way. So she's, she takes the pathway of works versus the pathway of grace. Grace. And I'm sure that she's thinking, look at all that I'm doing. Lord, do you not see all that I'm doing? And so she goes up to him and says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Lord, do you not see all that my hands are doing for you? You know, you come into town I greet you. I welcome you into my home. I open up my food and my drink. I give it to everyone. I am like overwhelmed now. And do you not see what, I, what I'm doing for you? Martha is an example of someone whose mind is set on the flesh. She is the perfect example of someone who has become because of her works and seeing what she's done, she's become self righteous. She has become self righteous by what she's she's looked, she's becoming impressed with what her hands have done. And she's not at rest and she is not at peace. And therefore she does not have ears to hear the words of Christ. And so, because of our Lord is loving and he loves Martha. In verse forty-one, he lovingly corrects her. But the Lord answered her, "Martha, Martha." Have you ever thought about how did how did Jesus say that to to Martha? Ugh, Martha, Martha, or was it more of a gentle Martha, Martha? He says it twice. You know why? Because he wants to get her attention. Her mind is distracted. She has set her mind on things below. Jesus knows that that's not good for her. And out of love, he corrects her. Now, he's not not doing this to humiliate her. But Martha has gotten so much boldness in front of a whole group of people that Jesus has to correct her now. I want to go back, though, to where, it, where Martha says, Lord, calls him Lord, and addresses him as Lord. This is very instructive to us. That even when we are walking in the flesh, we can still call Jesus Lord, thinking that we are serving him as Lord, when really we're calling him to be under our lordship. And Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? When she says, do you not care, this is more of a question, an accusation. This is more of an accusation that she's making to him. If you did care, you would do this. And isn't that the cry of our hearts from time to time when we lose sight of who Jesus is? Lord, don't you care what's going on in my life right now? especially in trials that go on and on. Recently, we put our house up for sale back in February, and within four or five weeks, we got an offer on it. It was an offer that we liked, and we were like, praise God, he's moving, and we're going to close in about 30 days. Well, come to find out, a few weeks right before closing, the buyers come back to us and say well we can't buy the house now because the people who are buying our house have backed out and we're gonna have to back out of this one so honestly at that time i had faith i was like that's okay god's got this and i had you know that fresh faith where i can trust you lord well today our house still has not sold and as that goes on as the trial goes on you know i want to sell that house it would be nice to have that income i have been tempted from time to time tempted to say lord Do you care what's going on with us right now with this house? That is the cry of the the heart. That's the cry that Adam and Eve had back in the garden when the the tempter tempted them to eat the fruit. They basically said, Lord, do you not care? What are you holding back from us? Do you really care for us? And because Martha is walking in this self-righteousness, She has become blinded. She has become blinded. And she condemns the one, her own sister. She condemns the one who is in the right. And she misjudges her sister. Shouldn't Martha have been praising her sister for for laying down everything and going to worship Jesus? But instead, in her self-righteousness, she is blinded by her own pride. And she ends up condemning the one who is actually in the right. So Martha's coming to Jesus and she says, look at what I've done. She's not doing anything. This reminds me of the oldest son of the prodigal son. Remember the prodigal son? The son that goes off and just lives a crazy life, spends his whole father's wealth and then he comes back in repentance and his father gladly welcomes men and there's the brother who had stayed at home thinking dad look at what i've done and you haven't given me a party or anything and you're you're welcoming this guy back that's the spirit of the pharisee when we try to come to christ with our own hands with the work of our hands we become we walk in the spirit of being a pharisee And she comes to Jesus and says, are you not impressed with what I've done? And Jesus says, no, I'm not. I'm not impressed with the works of your hands. You were made to be impressed with my works, not me with yours. And this is an account of more than just having a quiet time. This is an account of what it looks like to strive to please God through the works of the flesh and what it looks like to please God by resting in his grace. And as I said earlier, Jesus corrects Martha. Gently, he corrects her. He says, you are anxious, in verse 41, you are anxious and troubled about many things. You are anxious and troubled about many things. Your mind is set on not the things above. Your mind is not set on eternal things. Indeed, you are my disciple, but right now you are so distracted by things. Things even that I have not required of you. And you are carrying a yoke that I did not put on you. And therefore your burden is heavy and you are anxious and troubled. And then he goes on to say, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion. One thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion. What is that one thing in this passage? What is the good portion that Mary has chosen? is it that she chose as i said before to have consistent quiet times with jesus i don't think so there's a few years ago god was teaching me what it means to uh, be centered on the cross and i was out in my yard and if you've ever had a yard crabgrass is one of those plants that just seems to find its way in there with no help of yours and if you let it grow it will grow sprouts here, but then they'll pop up over there and over there, all from one plant. And so I would go into the yard. I was, uh, it was back when I couldn't afford that stuff you put down to, to get rid of it. So I was going to just pull every one of them out. And so I went and started pulling them out one at a time. And I just, it didn't matter, I would have never done it. But then something dawned on me. I realize that if I will go to the if you go to the center of a piece of crabgrass, okay, go to the center of it. I got your attention now. You go to the center of that piece of crabgrass and you put your hands in the middle of it, right at the heart of it, and pull it up, every one of those roots will come out with it. There's only is this right, Andrew? Give me an Amen on this. All right. The point that I'm making is is that if I would just do this one thing in this crabgrass, the rest of the roots would come up. And in John 6, the crowds come to Jesus. And they say, Lord, what do we have to do? What's the one thing that we need to do to please God? What is the one thing that we need to do to make him happy? And he says in John 6, 29, this is the work of God. This is the one work that you need to do. And that is, believe in the one whom he has sent. Right now, as you're sitting here this morning, let me ask you something. As you're sitting right where you're at this morning, And as we talk about Martha and Mary, honestly, which one do you most relate with right now? Can you relate with Mary, who is your soul is at rest, you're enjoying the savior, you're at peace with Christ right now? Or can you relate more with Martha right now? You're distracted. You're even having a hard time listening right now because you've got other things that are on your mind that, are, that seem to be weighing down on you right now. Maybe it's a health issue, a financial issue. Maybe it's a relationship or things just aren't going the way that you had a vision and, and things just aren't going the way that you thought they should and, and you're just trying to make it happen but it's just not happening and you're not at rest right now i don't think this passage is here just for us to read and get through without there being a, a real application i want you to d- identify yourself where are you at right now in that situation are you resting or are you striving my question is do you want to get out of the striving do you want to get out of the turmoil. well, Jesus says, only one thing is necessary. Only one thing. And if you'll do this one thing, then you'll be like Mary. You'll be at peace. You'll be at rest. And ultimately, we need to understand as when we strive, when we find ourselves striving, trying to impress God, or we try to to make things happen on our own, and we're feeling the heavy yoke of life upon us. The one thing that we need to understand is that God is not pr- impressed by what we do for him in our own strength. He is not impressed. What he desires is that we will be impressed and that we will be captivated by what he has already done. I remember when I was here, one of the things I would say to the youth on a regular occasion was this. You know, we are a forgetful people. The problem is we forget that we're forgetful. We are a forgetful people. We need to be reminded on a regular basis. That's one of the things that I learned in this church, is that you can never be reminded enough of what Christ has done for us. We can never be reminded enough of the work of God's hands. And we need to turn our eyes to the work of God's hands. Quit looking at the work of our hands and the situations around us and look up to the work of Christ. What he has already done for us, specifically, specifically on the cross for us. We need to remember. We need to be amazed, amazed that God in heaven would... See a rebellious people in full rebellion against him who hated him, that he would send. We need to be amazed that he would leave heaven and live among a people who were his enemies. We need to be amazed once again and refreshed of what he did for us on that cross. One of the most amazing things is found in Isaiah 53, and it talks about when uh, that Jesus was rejected and despised by the very ones he was dying for. So on the way to the cross, as he's making his way to the cross, he's not getting encouragement like, come on, Jesus, you can die for me, you can do this. No, we're sitting there going, mocking him. And even his disciples were saying, don't do it. Don't, everything was against him. We should be amazed that he did not die for a people who were gratefully wanting him to do it. That should amaze us. Does that amaze us? I know if you're a believer, if you're a true believer, at some point in your life, that truth uh, has amazed you. That truth blew you out of the water. And it brought you into a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. And we must, as a church, redeeming grace as a church, this church must continue to remind one another of this wonderful and glorious truth. We can sing about the Savior and totally miss the Savior because we are becoming engulfed in the things of this world. Our hearts are deceitful. And we need to have a fresh remembrance of what Christ has done for us. Jesus has driven that eternal stake into the ground. Known as the cross. A stake that will never be moved. And that we can always point to. When Mary said, Lord, do you not care about me? That's the question that we are all asking from time to time. And when that question comes up, when my house, I'm going to go back to my house, when it has not sold and that temptation comes for me to go, Lord, do you care? i If I will do this one thing, if I will go to the foot of the cross, that question is answered. Absolutely, I care for you. I cared so much for you that I was willing to leave heaven, give it all up, allow myself to be publicly ridiculed, humiliated, stripped naked, spit upon, abused, and separated from my father and take punishment for something I never did on your behalf. And I did it willingly because I wanted to demonstrate my love for you. And listen, if there's someone here today who you have never come to Christ, you have never submitted yourself to Christ, I want to encourage you to search what Christ has done for you on the cross. That's the one thing you must do. If you're questioning, is this Jesus real? Search his wounds. See, find out. What he has done for you, because it's that one thing, knowing what Christ has done for you, that allows us to move forward and to be fruitful in the rest of the things that God has called us to do. And that's the gospel. That is the gospel that I have so enjoyed in this church. That is the gospel that I have been able to pass on to my children. And when Matt asked me to come and preach, I just wanted to do something simple and once again preach the gospel to the church that has helped me to get a better grasp of what Christ has done for me. And so anytime that we are tempted to think that God has forgotten us or that he does not love us, let us continue to remind one another that there is only one thing that is necessary. And like Mary, may we be found faithful to choose the good portion which will never be taken away. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the way that you have demonstrated your love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, while we were yet rebels, you left your home In heaven, you emptied yourself to redeem to yourself a people who would be motivated by your love, which is clearly demonstrated to us on the cross of Calvary, Lord. Lord, I ask that you would give us grace. To walk in a newness and a freshness of this truth. Even today, Lord, that the strivings of our heart would cease. That we would lay down any visions or dreams that you have not given to us. And we would not put on any yokes that you have not put on us, Lord. For you say that your burden is light. Lord, that we would find rest at your feet and that we would walk in the spirit of Christ making much of you, enjoying you and bringing others into this fellowship. Lord, I pray these things in your name. Amen.